Welcome to Automators. I'm David Sparks and joined by my co-host, Rosemary Orchard. And this is The Automators, where we talk about how to automate your technology to do your work for you. Hello, Rosemary Orchard. How are you today? I'm very excited, David. We're going to get to talk to somebody in the same country as me, even yes. though, you know, there there's a whole pandemic between us. But, you know, it, you know, somebody else British. And it's wonderful to have him on the show. I am very excited about this week's guest. Welcome to the show, Stephen Millard. Hi, thanks for having me. Stephen, you have been talked about on this show several times over the last several months. Um, gang, Stephen Millard is the developer of an amazing set of add-ons for drafts called Thought Asylum. And I think it came up in the Merlin Mann show and several other shows we talked about. And I know that yep. it's a hot topic over on the Automators Forum. And and what Stephen's done, and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of it during the course of the show, but he's really just made a tremendous amount of add-on support for drafts, giving all of us users, not only power users, but people who are just kind of new to this stuff, a set of tools to create better automation in drafts. It's an amazing set of tools. We're going we're gonna to definitely get to that. But uh, I guess before we do, Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, oh, as Rosemary said, I, I live in uh, the UK. Um, my day job is working in IT, and I've been doing that for over 20 years. Um, and I've worked as a, a developer of computer systems, but also um, supporting them. And I currently work uh, in IT consultancy. Um, so I've been around computers quite a while and automating for quite a while. So in addition to IT, you've got some work you're doing in your day job with automation, right? Um, yeah, I, um, I, as part of my day job, I'm working with lots of, uh, customers and lots of internal projects and things. And I, I'm automating all over the place just to make my, my life easier from things to do with calendar entries and text expansion all the way through to automatically running scripts and everything else you might think of. When did you first get started doing automation? I suppose my first experience was probably, um, I was probably about eight years old. Um, when I was about seven or eight, my parents brought, uh, bought me, um, a microcomputer called a Sinclair ZX Spectrum. And it was a, a crazy little computer with rubber keys and you plugged it into your television and it allowed you to run programs in basic. And I so remember the Sinclair. Had a thermal printer, right? <laughs> uh, you could get a thermal printer for it, yes. <laughs> yes, I remember that computer. It was like the size of a... Um, it's just hard to explain it because it was like it was not a full-size computer, right? It had at least the ones they sold in the U.S. were kind of small where you would type on them with your thumbs and it was just a flat panel where you'd press really hard on the numbers. Yeah, yeah. There were definitely a lot of hard presses to get it to re <laughs> to display yeah. anything. But yeah, it was it was only like maybe seven or eight inches across or something. It was, uh, yeah. it was very small, but it was good for a kid. I'm just looking at this on Wikipedia. It kind of just looks like a keyboard. The one on Wikipedia is black with a little rainbow across the corner. Um, yep, that's the one. <laughs> I, I do not remember this, I'm afraid to say. Um, but, um, no, Rose, you would not. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I'm only 30, so, you know, yeah. uh, I'm officially an adult now, I think, uh, maybe. But I'm, I'm, I'm not, unfortunately, quite old enough to have had one of these. But they did exist until a year after I was born. It, it was a it was a terrible and awesome computer. I think it was sold for like a hundred dollars US when it came out, and it was like it, for a lot of us, it was a way to get started. But I had a friend that had one. I remember we used to program it, and we had a pencil 
with a like when we would press the pencil eraser with like a tremendous amount of force against the letters after a while to get them to register. And the problem would be because if you just press with your finger, the pressure sensitivity broke after you know a few months. You'd have to just press really hard. But if you held the pencil down too long, you might get three letters instead of just one. So it was always, and then you had to deal with the delete key, which is a whole nother problem. <laughs> how, how did you automate a Sinclair computer? The computer itself came with uh, a manual that taught you how to program in BASIC. And so I was quite interested in doing everything I could with this this new computer that we got. And so I taught myself BASIC from that. Yeah, And then... A little while later, I was uh, really into playing um, role-playing games with some of my friends. We were we were kind of starting out into that, and in those games, these these weren't the games like you'd have now online, and uh, they were all purely based out of books, and you you wrote everything down. Yeah. But um, there was a thing about um, you would have other characters that you could come across, and they were non-player characters, and it was a little bit boring. Uh, and samey kind of creating those characters so i wrote something in basic to generate them automatically so it was a lot of just ifs and prints and random numbers but um it meant that i could very quickly generate lots of different characters and choose combinations that i liked um Mm. and that was probably the first one i ever did nice nice i remember the thing i used to do with because i had the atari 400 which also had a membrane keyboard and we would write um our own games with it but we're basic go-to statements you know if you use the key go to this segment if you use the the axe to open the door you go to the, and we we spent so many hours playing those games um but that's not why you're here today sorry <laughs> gang i just got a little excited talking sinclair i haven't heard that name for <laughs> quite a while um what are the automation tools you're using these days so I, I've used quite other, a, a other variety. Drafts. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> drafts, obviously. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess at work, I, I use a Windows PC uh, day in, day out, and um, I'm using everything from scripts there to probably the, the thing I use most commonly is there's a Windows file manager called XYplora. Uh, so I, I play on Explorer, I guess. Uh, and that's very customizable, and you can program it's has its own scripting language in it and you can program all sorts of things in that so i use that all over the place to uh, allow me to quickly start things off and get things going in in the work that i do um outside of work um i obviously do loads of stuff in drafts um but i also have lots of keyboard maestro scripts text expander some better touch tool stuff lots of command line scripts um apple script i Whatever, whatever's the right tool for the job at the time, really. How do you go about figuring out what the right tool is for the problem? Uh, well, I guess <laughs> when or I'm trying out... Or is that a bad out... question to ask? <laughs> How long is a piece no, of string? <laughs> no, so um, whenever you try out a tool, you kind of... I, I, I'm a big one for reading manuals. Um, I am oddly a person who reads a manual cover to cover before I even start trying to use something. Um, so I will find out about what something does, have some practice with it, uh, and then usually one or two tools will kind of be um, a more obvious choice to uh, uh, an issue that I'm having. Um, I'd always try and minimize the number of tools I'm using, but sometimes it does end up being a chain of tools, and sometimes you try things out, doesn't really work. 
switch to a different tool, see if you can get a bit further with that. But um, I usually don't have too much problem with with uh, choosing which one to use. There's usually one or two that's a, a leading contender. Fair enough. You know, let me go back real quick to Windows for a second, because we don't talk about Windows enough on the show. Rose and I don't use it on a daily basis. I remember back in the day, I, I wrote tons of scripts with like Word Basic and some of the, the general automation tools that Microsoft had created. But I don't know, what is the status of general automation tools these days on Windows? How, how many tools are there out there for Windows users? You know, what's the barrier to entry? Um, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really like to say. There's certainly lots of options out there, and Microsoft themselves have done a lot of work with um, their Power Automate tools and um, and their shell script uh, equivalents, and they've obviously brought uh, uh, a Linux to Windows now as well, so that you can actually fire that up and, and take advantage of all the, the tools that you might be more used to on other systems. Um, I mean, for me, um, most of my stuff is either... Um, in XY Plora, or I have um, a text expander on there as well, I guess. Uh, and I make use of something called Auto Hotkey, which I know has come up on the forum several times. Um, that's a really great tool. It's a little hard to get into, I would say, but uh, it allows you to do a, a really wide range of things. It's kind of like, I would say, it's like a, a text based version of Keyboard Maestro for anyone who's, mm-hmm. who's on a Mac. Um, so it's very much you program in a language, but it allows you to do a massive range of uh, interactivity. Um, and I mean, I've I've got also, I've even got DOS batch scripts that I I still use for little bits and pieces. Um, but uh, Windows, I think Windows is is uh, highly automatable. You just have to know what you're looking for. Well, that's a, that's a relief to hear about Auto Hotkey. I'd never heard of that app, and. Um... Maybe we'll have to have somebody on someday to talk about it that that uses it frequently because I think we do need to talk about Windows once in a while. And I always was under the impression that Keyboard Maestro was a snowflake. It was something you only could get on Mac, and there wasn't really anything like it on Windows. So um, that's good. I, I to think hear. that's still true. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a different. Auto Hockey is something very different, but the sort of breadth of automation that you can get out of it, I think, is probably something similar. Yeah. That makes sense. Just yeah. like just like they uh, for a long time, there were a bunch of projects that tried to duplicate Hazel in Windows. You know, Hazel's mm-hmm. a great Mac utility for like document filing and and file management. And then like they they were such a ripoff that they would even copy like similar names. I think one was called Belvedere, and mm-hmm. um, yep. which which were both like Hazel was a TV program about a maid, and Belvedere was a TV program about a butler. So it's, it wasn't like too hard to figure out where they were coming from, but they were never very good. I don't know if there's anything like, is there anything like Hazel these days on windows worth recommending? It's been a while since I looked for something like Hazel. Um, I I know Belvedere doesn't exist anymore. Um, That, that got shut down. Yeah. I think that was um, one of the guys from Lifehacker wrote that. Was it Adam Pack? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's a, a few tools out there that will do it. As, as I say, I think File Juggler was one that I looked at in the past, and I'm sure there was another one, but I can't remember the name. Yeah. Well, you know, keep keep on it, Windows users. I, I do feel like Mac users in general are more likely to, like, get into that stuff, but maybe that's just a Mac bias. I don't know. <laughs> I think often the tools are easier to get into on the Mac. 
Yeah. 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 It, it is. I mean, it, it is an enthusiastic user base, whereas in Windows, in my experience, largely it's people who are using Windows because the work requires them to. So you're less, you know, you're less. Or it was cheaper. Yeah, exactly. So you're less inclined to like say, oh, let me spend some money to automate. But uh, it sounds to me like things are better than they used to be. I guess we, there's more options these days. Um, I mean, I've been doing automations on Windows with with basically scripts and moving files around and things since I, I first got a Windows PC. But um, certainly the, it's matured a lot since uh, I started using Windows PCs a very long time ago. Yeah. What, what would you recommend for people listening? Because you obviously, I mean, you have a computer science degree and you started on your Sinclair. So you've been at this game a lot. If someone came up to you today and said, hey, I want to start automating, where would you send them? Um, uh, other than I'd this podcast. To, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd probably ask to, the, them to show me their phone, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Most people's first computer these days is their mobile device. So if it was uh, an Apple device, then abs- I would absolutely send them to automators first. There's nowhere <laughs> else to go. <laughs> um but if it, if it was an Android phone, I'd, I'd kind of point them in the direction of a few apps. It's, it's been a few years since I've used Android, but I, I think Tasker is, is still the best automation on that platform. Um, but I think being able to show someone immediately something they could automate with would be the one to kind of catch their attention and get them going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I mean, Android does have a lot of options. I know I've got some friends who've recently migrated away from Android um, because they're not super happy with, you know, Google um, in general. But, you know, Android's got plenty of flexibility and so on out there. And so everybody has automation possibilities on their platform. It's just a question of how interested you are and, uh, you know, what you're trying to achieve. Are you are you doing things begrudgingly or do you have an active interest in improving what you're doing? Because that is the thing that makes the biggest difference, of course. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint, the bi-weekly conversation and interview podcast about SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tech inside Microsoft 365. It's really great when you can find a new podcast that can teach you something, and that's what I found with this Microsoft SharePoint podcast. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, The IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tech can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, acknowledgement, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives, facts of the week, and upcoming events. And the topics of each show are really interesting. Previous episodes cover a lot of different things like designing your intranet, migrating to the cloud, or just Office 365 and how to get the most out of it. I really enjoyed a recent episode called SharePoint Drives Me Crazy, where the host talked to some guests about implementing SharePoint and the parts that worked and didn't work for them and how they got past that. It gave me a lot of new knowledge about exactly how SharePoint works And that was something, frankly, I didn't know before. So that's the best kind of podcast. So go check it out right now. Just search for The IntraZone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E. Or just click the link in the show notes and you can go straight to it. Our thanks to The IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. 
So, Stephen, one of the things that I've noticed recently is you seem to be a mind reader. Um, so every time I look at your blog, there's something related to something that I've recently been doing. So uh, the most recent post as of uh, when we're recording is you've got something there about Obsidian. But a couple of weeks ago, I was looking for, um, I, or I was trying to fix my Stream Deck uh, setup. And I've got a bunch of icons on there and they're related to apps or podcasts and so on. But I needed just some generic icons that were relatively uniform and I could have a whole bunch of them. And so I opened up NetNewsWire, which is my RSS app of choice, only to find that you have posted your Stream Deck icon generator, which is a shortcut which generates Stream Deck icons, which did exactly what I needed it to do. So my first question is, how are you reading my mind? And the second question is, how did you come up with this? Um, how am I reading your mind? Uh, that would be telling. Oh, darn um, it. <laughs> <laughs> As for uh, how I came up with it, um, I was um, I, I was looking to generate some icons for the the stream deck myself, and I'd um, I'd found various sets online in the past, and I found that the icons were sometimes very jarring um and a bit mm -hmm. distracting went out of the corner of my eye um so the people are often very bold in their design styles when they're producing things and i wanted something a bit plainer uh yes. and i was looking through toolbox pro and was uh, reading about some of the actions in there and spotted the one about generating icons and i thought i wonder if i could generate some icons um but an entire set of icons that I could use the Stream Deck. And so I started uh, tinkering about with that and trying things. And what I wanted to do was just have something quite simple, but quite um, focused, much like the sort of icons that you'd get on buttons in application toolbars. Because uh, to me, the Stream Deck is a dynamic version of that, just like the mm -hmm. uh, touch bar on a Mac. Yeah. And so um, I basically decided that what I wanted to do, I wanted to try a few different um themes and uh maybe for different uh profiles and things on the stream deck so for different sets of buttons and so i decided well i can i can pass in a background color and an icon color to draw the icon in and i started playing around with that and i had a few issues to begin with uh with things timing out um mm -hmm. it could just be because my hardware is a little bit older and runs a bit slower but uh, i was i was able to work around that most of the time and i found that if i just actually just generated smaller subsets i could very quickly get through it without any issues and so um i put together this shortcut and it can generate based on the font awesome icons that are in there and the uh the sf icons that apple produce and it just generates a full sets of these icons with just two different colors so you can pick uh, colors that match most of mine i have a, a nice gold or a yellow with a just a plain back background and i find that less distracting than all these pastel glary sort of uh, mm -hmm. buttons that you would have otherwise um and so i did that sometime last year and then i eventually got around to writing about it um a few weeks ago i i want to tell you that this post saved me so many hours because i too am a stream deck user and i've really grown accustomed to the sf symbols which is apple has released its own icon set which they've done over the last year and a half and it's, you know, you get this, this big list of these icons and the way I was using them was just the, the word, I shouldn't even be allowed to be on automators because of the way I was using these. I would, <laughs> I would open them up and I would just type one of them because they're, they're, um, it's a character set. It's not image files. And I would mm -hmm. put one in like a word processor, like pages 
screenshot it and remove the background as PNG. It was like the worst way to do this. And then I read this post and I'm like, oh yeah, you run one script and it exports all of the SF symbols into icons of your color. And I am a bozo. So I'm just saying it right here. Well, I'm I'm glad that you have also learned, David. Um, I spent an embarrassingly long time just not doing icons on the stream deck and then squinting at my stream deck, looking at titles, uh, because it seemed like a lot of effort to make icons. Um, and so for some things, I did do icons. You know, I've got an automators icon, I've got nested folders icon, and I've got an iOS today icon. But the the sneaky trick is, is I just stole the the podcast artwork for that. Sure. Um, because we already had it, and so you know, scale it down. It's small, but it's recognizable, um, which is which is a good thing. But yeah, yeah, and so now you know, if I open up my automators um, folder here on my stream deck because I have a, a recording profile, then inside of my my uh, automators folder i have several things which are uh based thanks to steven on uh, i'm using the font awesome icons because i'm i'm very familiar with those for work um we use font awesome for a lot of things but i also have some generic recording things which turn on a light that indicates i'm recording so that nobody else can see it but it's there so if there's ever somebody else here you know should you know the global pandemic ever end then you know they would know that i'm recording so it's a good habit to get into i figure well, I'm glad you're both able to make use of it, and I'll um, I'll try and write about these things a little sooner. <laughs> so, so walk through how you created this. Um, well, it very much was um, most most of the hard work is done by um, the uh, Toolbox Pro application. Um, so I I really did just start out with experimenting and trying to generate um, small groups of icons, and it was very straightforward to do in shortcuts. Um, it was literally a case of just dropping in the right actions and then uh, stepping through. And then I, I kind of built it out a little bit to just, just to add some uh, a better way to select which sets that you wanted to produce and storing um, your uh, color preferences as well. Um, that, that was it. It was, um, as I say, all the hard work is really done by Toolbox Pro. Yeah. Um, so I can see here you're using a couple of different actions. So you're using global variables from Toolbox Pro, um, as well as um, obviously the the actual icon generation itself. Um, have you experimented with global variables in any other ways, or are you just using Toolbox Pro for that? In that one particular action, uh, oh, sorry, that one particular shortcut, uh, I'm just that's where I'm using the global variables from Toolbox Pro. But uh, in general, I would tend to use DataJar. But the reason I chose to use Toolbox Pro in that particular one is that then there was only one application dependency. So yes. people would only need to have the one application installed because it could do both things. Um, but generally, I, I, I tend to work more with um, persistent storage. Uh, so things that I want to reuse in uh, DataJar, uh, just because uh, Simon has provided such a, a great way to to modify and update the data uh, in the app itself as well as via shortcuts. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I use um, global variables across uh, a range of shortcuts that I, I use, and they're, they're mainly to do things like um, uh, store preferences and uh, personal non-sensitive information, so things like um, the name of my home Wi-Fi network so that it's a quick way to, that I can identify my, my current location if I'm at home. And mm-hmm. things like that what i don't use it for though is i know a lot of people do is um storing lots of data so i've seen a lot of people on the forums using it to download 
quantities of uh, data about COVID and, and things like that. But I, I don't use it for anything like that. It's always just small bits of data for me. Yeah, me too. I, I have a bunch of like little things, but I've not used it like a full like array yet. I, is there a problem with that? Have Has anybody run into issues putting, you know, big piles of data into data jar? Um, I don't think so. I think there's uh, certainly a lot of a lot of uh, discussion on the forums where people have, have managed to to get things working just fine. I've never seen anyone kind of mention anything about hitting any any limits. Well, I I'm can sure tell there you somewhere. Um, I run. I have a shortcut that I run when I run my washing machine. Another one that I run when I, I run my tumble dryer. And these are I run with um, the pushcut automation service. So they automatically run with my tumble dryer. It's every five minutes. With my washing machine, it's every ten minutes. Um, and basically, it's just trying to track the energy levels so that then when it finishes, it can tell me that it's finished and set a, a due reminder to tell me to actually empty the darn thing, um, which works surprisingly well um, and has been very useful for this past week when I've not been very well and my brain is done things like forget that I started the washing machine and then a reminder pops up on my phone that says empty and then they go, oh yeah, I actually did load that. Oh, well, thank you, pass me for setting this up. So I'm actually, because I'm checking this data, I had to store it somewhere so that I could run it again the next time. And I figured that I should throw it in, in uh, DataJar as well. And so I've got 887 keys on one of them and uh, 513 keys on the other. And then I've got a bunch of other data in here as well. Like uh, my workday log is 434 values right now. Um, and stuff like that. So that, you know, I'm, I'm not running into limits with data jar, but at the same time, you know, if, if this data is available somewhere else, say for example, COVID data, that also probably changes because people find historical data, you know, tests get processed, you know, later than perhaps they, they, they could have been, or just because there's not been the manpower to do so. Um, so, um, you know, I, I would prefer to continue to get that from whatever the source is. Well, that's good to hear. There's just so much you can do with that app once you start digging in on it. But I, I uh, just keep finding myself using it to put very tiny bits of data that I want to use across multiple shortcuts. Yes. Yeah. It is very handy for that. Yeah. Anyway, the, 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 an interesting thing I like about this Stream Deck icon generator is that it is a shortcut that feels more like a traditional Mac program. You know, you need to give it some time to run. It generates a lot of output. So often shortcuts is about giving us a piece of information or a single file. But this thing, if you really light it up, can can generate thousands of files for you, which I love that, you know, people are, are pushing shortcuts in that way. How many people have emailed you to say, hey, this thing uh, froze up my iPhone. It didn't finish when it was really just running in the background. <laughs> You're the first people to ever mention it. No, I've not had anyone there. Anyone sure. there mentioned anything about it to me. But I, well, I wouldn't be surprised. You've, you've broken it down into into the subsections because, of course, you experience those performance issues on your own own devices. So, I mean, I, yeah. I've I've only generated subsets of actions myself just because I don't need all of them. And if I need more, then I'll go back and generate them when I need them, which I think is the right approach for something like this. Because otherwise, you end up with what hundreds of thousands of icons sitting in a folder <laughs> that you're never using. It's not right. Yeah. Yeah. So when it generates them. Yeah. when it generates them it puts them in iCloud so I certainly don't keep them all in there I, I, sh I shift them off pretty quick yeah but uh <laughs> yeah well I, I wish they would make it so we could have more control over those saved destinations you know uh, like one of the things you did here is you create a subfolder in iCloud like, could you imagine if you didn't <laughs> I mean just your your <laughs> iCloud folder just be well it's iCloud slash shortcuts folder just full of thousands of icons <laughs> So, Stephen, how did you get into drafts? Wow. Um, so, I guess um, 
way back, I uh, I got an iPod Touch, and um, I was looking for a way to um, just uh, share things more easily. And one of the first versions of drafts, either one or two, I came across, um, and I've kind of been using it ever since. And it, I've just been making more and more use out of it with every every version that's come out since then. Was this the first generation of the iPod Touch? Uh, I honestly can't remember. Because okay. um. <laughs> I, w- I, w- I was team first generation iPod Touch because I was in sixth form. I couldn't afford an iPhone at the time. So I had an iPod Touch and some dodgy, not really smart touchscreen phone, which was available on contract at a considerably lower price than the iPhone until my second year of university when my dad said, I'm getting an iPhone, this means you have to get one because otherwise you can't support me when I've got questions. He had a lot of questions, <laughs> but I got an iPhone. So, uh, yeah, I think, I, I don't know, I was certainly aware of drafts back then, but I, I I didn't properly get on board the drafts train for a little while. Um, but I'm very glad to be there now. Yeah, I think I saw, I think it was it just came up on, on the App Store one day and it was like, oh, actually, that that's, I'm looking for something just like that. and. Grabbed a copy right then. Yeah. So how did you start out using drafts? Just as it was designed where you would write things and then fire them off? Or were you doing something fancy back then too? No, no, no. I, uh, I, think, it was, I think it was more limited back then. And that was, that was kind of its purpose to be able to just capture and then choose where you send it. So it was, it was very much, um, I was using it as stated. And it was like, I'll capture this and then decide, oh, is that going to be a text message? Or is that going to be um, an email um, or do I want to save it off somewhere else? So it it was very basic, but it, it met my needs perfectly. And how would you say your usage of drafts has evolved? Are you doing more with drafts nowadays? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, then again, maybe I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I spend a lot of time in, in drafts these days. Um, not for my work, but outside of work, um, I use it for capturing all sorts of ideas for planning, for um, tracking my shopping list, um, for keeping notes about things that um, a lot of people might use Apple Notes for. I tend to use um, drafts for. Uh, so little bits of reference information, um, maybe tracking daily logs for things if uh, if I need to for my, my, um, my GP, my doctor, things like that. Um, and also for... Uh, fun and creating stuff in drafts as well um so I'm, I'm using i spend a lot of time uh creating actions and things to to help me do things a bit more easily and to help other people uh do things as well this episode of automators is brought to you by AirBuddy. when you open your airpods near your iphone or your ipad you get that buttery smooth user interface that makes airpods such a joy to use and then when you open them near a mac you get nothing when you get AirBuddy, you can get that same smooth experience and more with AirPods on your Mac. And with AirBuddy 2, this is taken to the next level with a refreshed user interface, improved reliability, and many new features. I end up using my AirPods all the time. They're really easy and they're small, so I've pretty much always got them nearby. And I love how easy it is to use AirBuddy. You just open your AirPods and that's pretty much it. There's nothing else to it. I love the fact that when I open it, I immediately see what the battery level is, both of the case and of the headphones. Yes, I know I see this on the iPhone, but when I'm sat at my Mac, which let's be honest, in recent times is more frequently than not, 
I want to see it there too, because that's the screen I'm looking at. AirBuddy supports all versions of AirPods, including AirPods Pro and AirPods Max, and all Beats power products powered by the W1 or H1 chip. Simply connect and change listening modes at the same time with a single gesture on the trackpad. Using AirBuddy's connection modes, you can automate system volume, audio input, and listening mode, so that you're ready to go into that video conference with just a single click. AirBuddy can also show you battery information for your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch, and their accessories. And the battery's widget can be added to Notification Center on macOS. Definitely a killer feature, according to me. AirBuddy is sandbox and it doesn't require any kernel extensions to work. Plus, it's fully compatible with macOS Big Sur and Apple Silicon, but it works on any Mac with Bluetooth Low Energy running macOS 10.14.6 or later. If you have AirPods and a Mac, you need AirBuddy. Go to airbuddy.app/automators to learn more. The first 100 Automators listeners to use that URL will get AirBuddy with a 20% discount. That's airbuddy.app slash automators and be quick to get that 20% discount. Our thanks to AirBuddy for their support of this show and Relay FM. At what point did you start automating drafts for your own use? Um, so I think uh, drafts for, I started um, spending more time working with some of the, the, the actions and URL schemes in there and did little bits and pieces, but it was really when um, Greg, who develops Drafts, brought out uh, Drafts 5 that I, I kind of really saw everything open up and really started investing more time into it and exploring what it could do and the vast array of functionality it had. It, was, it, would, it became more like a platform than uh, just an application on its own. Sure. What were, the, what were the types of problems you were trying to solve? Um. Well, it, it it wasn't necessarily that I had a problem. I just saw opportunities of how sure. to use it. Um, so things like um, the support for doing lists and things like that and being able to check things off and then suddenly being able to do things as simple as, oh, actually, I can just automatically reset that entire list with a, a touch of a button or I can, uh, I'm, I'm writing some things uh, for my blog and I'm writing them in Markdown, and there's some um, tools that come with it, some actions that come with drafts uh, as standard that allow me to do various small things with um, Markdown, so to make something a heading, to make something a link. But for my website, uh, I maybe always have something in a particular format, and so I was able to customize that very quickly and just become more efficient at uh, producing what I wanted to get out of it. Yeah, I, I feel like that the thing about drafts that people need to understand is even if you're a very basic in automation, if you're not a computer programmer, there's a lot of automation there that you can build yourself. I mean, with those actions and the steps. But if you want to go farther, there seems like there's almost no limit to what you can do. Yeah, it feels like that every day with drafts. <laughs> um, just when you think you've found something, Greg will go and add an entire new set of functionality and open a new door that you never even realized you wanted to walk through. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I remember when I first started interested in backlinking and I wanted to add some backlinks to some of my drafts uh, messages, I sent Greg a message saying, hey, you need to add this feature because that's what you do, right? When you're a, a user, you keep complaining to the developer till, and whining until <laughs> they give you what you want. And he sent me two links immediately that that users had already created a rich backlinking system 
using drafts-based automation in the application. It just, you know, it was already there. The answer to my question was someone had already built it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You always have to search the action directory for drafts. It's full of fantastic actions from so many people. Yes, it definitely is. And uh, the action directory started out as an action directory, didn't it? But then there, then then we went from just having actions in drafts to action groups. I think we must have had action groups in drafts four. Um, I'm, I'm sure we did. Um, but uh, now there are workspaces as well, which can apply filters and settings to a draft list, which I think is a great thing to share because if you create action groups like for example, Stephen, you've created, uh, I believe there's, what, six in the Tadpole collection? Um, and that's, I'm sure, not the end of the number of action groups that you've created. Um, then being able to say, oh, and download this workspace, and then whenever you tap this workspace, it automatically loads the right action groups for you in the action group list and the action bar. That that was uh, definitely something that made me go, aha, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing even more possibilities here. Um, and I'm way behind on, on draft development. I know that Greg keeps releasing features, and every time I, I go to look at them, it's like, oh, wow, there's about 80,000 new features here. Gosh, this is going to take a while. I'll just Google for the one that I need. There it is. Okay, good. I did not know this existed in drafts, but it is there. So <laughs> so then at some point, Stephen, you started looking into like, kind of going deeper down the well with drafts automation, and that ultimately led to the creation of the Thought Asylum Action Group. And just take a minute to kind of explain what that is. Yeah, sure. Um, so it actually started out right at the start of Drafts 5 being released. Um, when I started to see um, the opportunities that it gave to actually create your own actions and things like that, and there were these action groups, I thought it would be a good idea if I created some and, and shared them out, and maybe I could build uh, a tool set of them. Um, and I mean, it, it's the same idea as with something like Text Expander, where they they have groups that you can share. And I've shared some some of mine of those in the past, and they're usually well received. And the community around drafts was very positive, and I could see lots of things going on. And so I thought, well, I, I'd like to be a part of that. I'd like to contribute. Um, and so I started uh, building out actions and. It was very random to begin with, and I wasn't very structured about it. I was just experimenting with things and putting things together. And over time, it was becoming a bigger and bigger thing, and it was taking longer and longer to put together. And I had lots of other things happening in my life, and it was it was kind of very much on, on the back burner. And it actually took me uh, a couple of years to actually put everything together to a point where I was happy to, to share something uh of any significance and any uh any any use that i thought this this is kind of the level of quality that i wanted to give out to people um but it was a a very a long journey and i rewrote lots of it along the way uh but hopefully it's now at a point where where people can get get some real benefit from it yeah i see i didn't realize it took that long because one day it just seemed like it appeared to me i i wasn't <laughs> following it so close but then it just like all of a sudden. There was nothing to follow. I was doing it all quietly. Yeah, and it, it really is amazing. And um, you know, it, it's it's just a tool set that anybody can pick up and start using. And I, I think this is a really great tool for people who are interested in this stuff that aren't down the rabbit hole as far as you are, because you've kind of built it for people to use and modify. And one of the great things about drafts is once you download these actions, you can modify them to your heart's content on your device. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea with, with the, the set is because I keep updating it, um, I, I usually try and get an update out at least once a month, if not twice. Uh, and I'll add new actions, new functionality. Uh, and the idea is that people just keep up, updating it and downloading it, but they can then, my advice is always to take a copy of things and create their own action groups and build things into that and modify it however they want. So even if it's just a case of um, they want to use an action that does a, a very simple thing, I, I would recommend that they create their own action and give it one step that calls the action in the action group. And they can give it their own icon, their own color, uh, assign it a keyboard shortcut if they want. And then next time they update the Thoughts Island group stuff, it'll keep their all their settings intact. So it kind of becomes this, this tool chest, this reference library, if you like, that you can just dip into if you need to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, um, I mean, I know um, you have discovered a few things about the drafts action groups as you've been doing this, including the maximum <laughs> number of drafts recommended in an action group, um, which I'm not sure the developer necessarily knew of. Uh, but I, I spotted something at some point where uh, you, you split things up from one action group to six action groups. Um, I went, there's got to be a good reason behind this. And then I can't remember if I saw it in, uh, in the drafts uh, Slack or or somewhere else where uh, Craig had said, uh, you know, there are quite a few actions here. Maybe we should split this up so that we don't run into a, a limit issue. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, Greg actually contacted me on uh, on Twitter and uh, it seemed like a joke at first. He kind of recommended that, like, maybe, maybe it should be split up a bit. Because ideally I would have liked it to stay as just one group because then there's only one thing for people to update, one thing yeah. for people to download. Um but there were a few things about it, and it, it wasn't actually the number of actions in it, but it was actually just the size of all the files and everything that sits behind it. It was, uh, it was starting to go over one megabyte, which apparently is uh, a sync limit in the iCloud sync ah. system. And so <laughs> how it was still working, I don't know, because I think it had gone a little bit over. But um, So I did some uh, refactoring, if you like, and ch changed a few things. So... One of the main things about um, the action groups um, is it has uh, a library that sits behind it. So it's just a, a big chunk of code that you can reuse um, in your own actions as well. And that's all documented and it's great. But I always kept a copy in one of the actions in the group. And that massively, that, that practically doubled the size of the group all on its own. Um, but in addition, I, I I wanted to have lots of room to grow this over time. So, I mean, I think it's gone from some like 300 actions to 500 actions in the last six months or so. And so I can see it continuing to grow. And so uh, it did make sense to kind of take a few things out and split a few things up. So I took it and changed it from this one single action group uh, after some discussion with some of the other, the other drafts users on the, the drafts forum uh, and split it into one core group that kind of delivers the core functionality, the, the library setup and everything else. And then these six other groups that allow you to focus in on particular areas like writing or managing lists or managing drafts. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to get started with this, so say, for example, they want your, your tasks and lists action group, what would their steps be to get started? Assuming that they've not read the posts on your website. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just because, you know, somebody's curious, you know, and they, and they don't necessarily have time to read. They just want to click some install buttons and have everything work. What what do they yeah. need to do? 
honestly, the simplest thing to do would just be to go to the action directory uh, for drafts, uh, which uh, is at actions.getdrafts.com, yeah. and type in Thought Asylum. And it will bring up all the groups and they'll be able to see. And there's instructions on the pages for each of the action groups in there. That's very smart. Yes, I noticed that uh, inside your core group, you also have uh, links to get to the other ones as well, which is uh, very smart. Because uh, I have to confess, when I first started playing with this, I did not read any of it. Um, and I, I, did, I did the typical user approach, which is I'll just click the install button. And then I tried using the indent action and it said, did not find Tad. And I'm there going, oh, I think I should probably go back and read some instructions. So uh, pro tip for people, make sure you install the core group, because if you install the core group, then everything else works. If you do not install the core group, then you'll be there like me going, huh, why doesn't this work? I must have missed something. And I have missed something. I was going to say, there's also an instructions action at the top of every group to tell you just that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's where I actually found my mistake. So thank you very much for good documentation. That's okay. Well, remember, Stephen reads every manual front to back before he opens the box. So, guys, we got to do the same with Stephen's stuff. (laughs) Well, hopefully it's a bit easier than that. But uh, I do always recommend reading the manual first. Yes. Yeah, there is definitely some advantages to reading the manual. But at the same time, um, I, you know, I did go back and read the manual on on these before I I dove in, but I deliberately didn't read the manual um, for it it was the tasks and list groups. I thought, you know, I'm just going to see, you know, give this a go see what I can do um, and without reading anything. And it was very self-explanatory once because I had the core action group installed. Obviously I installed that a couple of months ago and uh, I've had, I've updated it several times since um, uh, because, you know, you keep releasing updates, which is wonderful. Um, so that was good. And, you know, I figured out and actually your indent action does exactly what I needed. I was going to create my own indent and outdent action. Um, and now I've discovered that I do not need to do that. So thank you very much for saving me some time there because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, starting to go a little bit crazy that my tab key was not working the way I usually expect it to in a regular editor. Um, so, <laughs> I'm used to a co- well, I'm used to a code editor where if you tap tab at any point on a line, it will indent your code. Um, and if you press shift, uh, what is it? Shift tab? I think it must be shift tab. That it should outdent you know, whatever, whatever you're writing. And I use this all the time when I'm writing lists and so on. And then drafts wasn't working like that. And it was breaking my brain a little bit. Uh, I've, I've now assigned it to command plus the the square brackets, the left square bracket and the right square bracket, because that's the usual um, commands in most editors, something like BB edit to indent and outdent a line. But uh, this is wonderful. So how do you, you know, wh- which of these is your, your favorite action group, if I'm allowed to ask that? Well, hmm. <laughs> I would say probably there is one called Power User. And uh-huh. I think that has some of the more interesting ones in from a from a technical yeah. perspective, which is kind of the thing that really appeals to me. Yeah, that one has the most as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, writing I... has the most. Uh let me see. I'm in drafts. Does drafts have a count of the number of actions in an action group inside of it? It does not. Um okay, so somebody, David, you're you're on uh, BB Edit. GT there. Uh, yeah. But I know there, there are seven are action two, groups here. 225 actions in the writing group and 138 in the power user group. But, okay, okay, so writing is the biggest. I, I have an action that tells me. Ah. <laughs> of course you do. Of course, of course. you do. Um, well, well, what are so, some of the fun things you do with the uh, the power user group? Um, so I think, yeah, the, mo- the, the thing that I use most around it is there's uh, right at the top of the group, 
there's a load of actions around uh, making writing scripted uh, things with drafts easier. So within drafts actions, you can have different blocks which can do, or different steps which can do different things. Um, a lot of these are very straightforward, very easy to use. Just fill in a few fields. So there's, well, there's one that's insert text, and you just fill in the text you wanted to insert every time, and you can use tokens, so you could insert the date. And that that's all very straightforward. But then there's a couple which allow you to use scripting. Um, originally, there is one called scripting, and that lets you access the JavaScript engine, if you like, that sits behind drafts and allows a lot of this functionality to, to happen. Um, it does now also support uh, shell scripts and Apple scripts on the Mac. But um, as far as possible, I always like to try and keep to the JavaScript stuff so that it will run across platforms. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the one that was, was first there, which is why it's called scripting rather than JavaScripting or something, I guess. Um, but I have lots of different functions in there that help me to build new actions because most of the actions I build are based around this um, this library, uh, which I've called Tadpole, which is just almost like a contraction filling in of uh, a, a Thought Asylum drafts library. And so mm-hmm. that's a reusable set of code. But a lot of that will um, get used. I'll, I'll develop some of that in uh, a Visual Studio editor. Uh, and so if I'm on the go, I'll be tinkering with things actually in drafts itself. And all these actions uh, around scripting just help me speed up the process of testing and working with those um, those functions and that, those scripts as I'm developing them. And I use them all the time. And they're, they're the ones that save me the most time, so they're probably my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, of course, if you're scripting <laughs> drafts, <laughs> then, then you need maybe some assistance to do the scripting. I do wish um, that I'd figured out autocomplete for, for drafts. I know that if you, you look in the, the scripting reference, then theoretically you can download those files and set it up. I just have never managed to actually get around to doing that. Um, how much time would you say you've actually spent creating all these actions and these action groups if you could give a ballpark <laughs> guess? Or do you use time tracking to tell you? Um, or is this something I, I, where if you tell ne- us, then your family may be out to get you? Um, yeah, my family may be out to get me if I, <laughs> if I admitted to that. <laughs> they, um, I mean, it it would be uh, weeks or months of my life, I guess, solid, working on nothing else. Um, but it, it's been over the course of several years, so... At, at times, it's taken a lot of time. I might spend a f- several hours in one day working on it, but um, it's never got in the way of anything. <laughs> well, that is always a good thing about automation. <laughs> if it, yes. if it's assisting you rather than getting in the way and you're enjoying it, then personally, I see it as a great hobby, much like gaming or something, you know, where it might seem like it's, you know, not necessarily great up front, but think of how productive you're actually being. And if you're enjoying yourself, then it's a great way to relax. And I know David likes to create shortcuts for fun. I definitely like to script and create shortcuts and all kinds of automations for fun. So uh, I guess we're we're in a, a very elite group of nerds because if we're enjoying automation and it's fun and we're achieving things then of course that is a wonderful thing i I almost think about it like people who like do the new york times crossword puzzle or people who like to do sudoku i mean to me it's a puzzle it's just a different kind of puzzle and you know i get a little piece of cheese at the end if i make it work right and (laughs) 
you know, there is a future uh, save time and automation to it for me. And that's great because it does save me time and it pays off later. But the actual process of creating it, I find quite enjoyable and kind of a way to relax and take my mind off things. I, I describe it as exactly the same. Um, to me, this is my version of doing crossword puzzles. But, mm-hmm. uh, well, you know, I enjoy crossword puzzles as much as the next person, but creating solutions, creating automations, creating things that make me more productive or efficient, it, I, I get some benefit out of the end of it. And I think sharing that expands that as well. So with automation, we're always looking for ways to speed things up, reduce the, the chance of something going wrong from human error to allow us to do things more quickly so that we can we have time to do things uh, that we otherwise wouldn't be able to fit into our day. But also when you share that out to people, um, then you know it just multiplies. So I may have spent months working on this, but if I've saved years of people's time in aggregate, then it's easily worthwhile. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by DevonThink. Get organized and unleash your creativity. Use the link devontechnologies.com slash automators to get 10% off. DevonThink is the flagship product from Devon Technologies. DevonThink is the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. It's the only place for storing all your documents, snippets, and bookmarks and working with them. The integrated AI assists you with filing and searching, and there's an extensive search language with advanced Boolean operators. DevonThank features a flexible sync system that supports many cloud services or lets you synchronize over the local network, too, with everything securely encrypted. This gives you the choice for however syncing works best for you. It has smart rules and flexible reminders that let you automate all parts of your workflow and delegate boring, repeating tasks. Let DevonThank automatically organize your data with rules that you define. DevonThank's AppleScript dictionary is one of the largest on the Mac, and of course we love that here on the automators. There's no part of DevonThank that can't be automated. Extend DevonThank's functionality with your own commands by adding them to the script menu. Even templates can have scripts inside, and you can set up new documents with data from placeholders or inserted by your own AppleScript code. And of course, there's so much more, from an iOS companion app to email archiving, scanning, or even an embedded web server for sharing your data securely with your team. I am such a fan of DevonThank version 3 that's now out. It's a very powerful app, and it looks beautiful. As an automator, one of my favorite features in DevonThank is the automation functions that are built right inside. All the ways you can slice and dice your documents and information via automation are mind-numbing. There's just so many of them. And with just a little bit of work, you can make DevonThank do your bidding for you. DevonThank is for anyone who has a lot of data and needs some help. You can get 10% off DevonThank 3 or upgrade to it right now. Just go to devontechnologies.com slash automators. Once again, that's devontechnologies.com slash automators for that 10% off. Our thanks to Devon Technologies for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. Okay, Stephen, so we were talking about saving people's time, and I know you've got seven different action groups here, one of them being the core action group, which if you want to use the other six, you'll you'll need to have installed. Can you just give us an overview of the these different action groups and you know the kinds of things that people are going to find in them? Yeah, sure. Um, so 
uh, as well as, uh, well, starting with the core action group, um, that was the original action group uh, that I started with. And it used to contain a, a lot more of these actions, but this is the one that I split them out from. And um, within that group, there's some actions that, uh, there's one particular action that will set up and refresh the uh, the libraries that sit behind um, the action groups. And this is this tadpole sort of set of um, code. And that's what really drives everything. And that's kind of the most powerful bit of it uh, and that's all documented online people can make great use of that and in amongst that uh you mentioned earlier there's uh an action called tad yeah uh, and that's i wanted a nice short simple name and that's if you include that uh that action by just saying uh in- include action in another one uh then it will immediately give you access to all the scripting that, that is available behind all these other actions um apart from that though uh the action group is really just this action group is is just kind of helper actions and links to to other things so that there's not a great deal of day-to-day end user functionality in that group anymore they exist very much in in these other groups so the other groups are there's an export import and share um, management power user tasks and lists one called Trove, and one called Writing. So Writing is the one that people, uh, I think, generally get the most use out of. And it's all sorts of actions just to help you with creating content in drafts. Um, so I use a lot of the actions in there. I have a separate uh, set of action groups that I can I use for my, my, my writing my blog, and they reference uh, my most commonly used actions from action groups. So there's everything from uh, removing content from lines to moving lines up and down without having to go into the arrange view, changing your your selection, jumping around, uh, inserting dates in various formats, working with markdown, working with a variety of different formats and working with uh, looking at previews as well. So um, around that, I, I've, I've recently added some new preview uh functionality in there and it will um it will do things like uh work with mermaid uh so it'll allow you mm-hmm. to have mermaid diagrams which is a, a markdown uh, an html compatible uh way of writing um some some lines of text which will then be transformed into a diagram uh, and i've been using um obsidian md recently and using uh mermaid diagrams in there that's that's uh, supported in there and i wanted to be able to have that in in drafts as well so that when i'm sending stuff from drafts to obsidian that i could check it first and so there's all sorts of things like that all sorts of text modifiers anything to do with with actually writing content mm-hmm. i i see that there's some here which i i know i've used before or i've tried to create before um or i've got my own versions of um generally you know like sorting selected lines or sorting a draft and things like that so i'm and and specifically for the writing group this goes beyond you know writing as the thought of i'm going to sit down and write an article it's also useful for people writing lists um and things like that as well i can see which of course is extremely useful even though you do have a, a specific group for uh tasks and lists i can see that there is indeed some overlap but you've you seem to have made a, a very conscious effort and decision to split things up so you don't have the same action as far as i can tell in two two different action groups 
No, no. So everything should be unique. But the idea is that if you wanted to have an action group to manage your tasks and list, you could create that and then you would just reference or copy out the actions from the other action groups. As I say, this is I, I view this as a, a like a toolbox that you can just dip into and take out of what you need and mm-hmm. arrange it however you like. Yeah. Would you recommend them that, that people duplicate these actions or would you suggest that realistically creating an action and using the, what is it, include action uh, step um, be, be the better approach? So I would suggest including uh, on the basis that if, uh, if there was a, a bug in one of the actions uh, and I fix it later on, then if you're including it, you will get the bug fix right. rather than existing it. However, if you want to take an action and do something a little bit different with it, then I would suggest taking a copy of it and you amend the action and get it working how you want. So I, I, can, I'm, I would be happy if anyone was using it in either way, but there are diff, I think there are different occasions when you take the different approaches. Yeah, I mean, really, this is like installing a reference library of actions on your device, you know, that you can pull from anytime you want. And the thing I can't emphasize enough is you don't have to be a programmer to plug into these. You know, he's done all the work for you. And that's why I think it's such an amazing thing you've made. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's very kind. So what what are some of the things you've heard from people that have picked these tools up and you know, what kind of uh, cool stuff are they building with your tools? Um so in terms of the the feedback it's it seems to have been so far universally very positive. Um people seem to appreciate the amount of effort that's gone in and the the breadth of of functionality that it's kind of providing for pe- to people. Um but in terms of what people have actually been building with it um I haven't really heard anything. I would really like to see people take the the underlying tadpole library and start creating things with that. I think there's only one action in the action directory that that makes any use of it outside of the uh, the Thought Asylum suite of action groups. Um, but I'd really love to see people make more use of that because it is it's all documented. There's loads of examples outside of the action group. It's there's a, an entire website just about the library that's. It's actually set up um, in exactly the same way as Greg has set up the scripting information for drafts itself. So it's it's absolutely 100% compatible, if you like. And uh, if you can find your way around one, you can find your way around the other just as easily. Well, we'll make sure to include a link to that in the show notes for people because, um, you know, if, if, you, if you're there going, ooh, some of this sounds really interesting, uh, that's because it is. Um, and, uh, and also, um, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that you've got all the links to that so that you can find it. Um, and, uh, we've got links to, of course, all the things in the show notes. So you just need to swipe around in your podcast player of choice until you find those or uh, check the website, of course, which we'll tell you about at the end of the show. Rose, what are some of the cool stuff you're doing with the Thought Asylum plugins? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, what I've just been uh, creating my own action group of the the core actions that I use uh, and assigning keyboard shortcuts to them. And I'm using, so what I've done is I've created, I, I create my own action groups and drafts for all sorts of things. So, And I assign them to workspaces so that when I open up, for example, um, I've got an inbox workspace, which is just everything that's untagged. Then it uh, it has the markdown action bar, which is just the default one from Agile Tortoise. And then it's got a custom processing action group, which is my personal processing action group. 
And I've got a whole bunch of different things in here. But the, the way I've been using the Thought Asylum ones primarily is I've got a hidden action group. Or not really hidden. I just don't really load it actively. But I've just assigned keyboard shortcuts to a whole bunch of these. Um, and I'm, I'm using it for things like that. So, for example... Um, the task paper ones. So, I mean, I've got my own task paper action group for OmniFocus things, which, you know, allows me to add, easily add due dates and so on. But toggling project lines um, and, you know, and things like that, or making something into a, a task or taking it away from being a task. I have straight up stolen Stephen's actions here. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just using those. And I've got some keyboard shortcuts assigned for those as well, which works really, really well for me. So I'm primarily using it like that, uh, where I'm just, you know, including these actions elsewhere with, as keyboard shortcut, uh, either with keyboard shortcuts or just because, you know, I want, you know, three or four from this group and one or two from that group. So dictating um, a markdown list is one that I was using earlier today. I realized I desperately needed to buy groceries because I've not been anywhere in a week because I thought, well, I had a, I had a slight fever and ear infection. And so I had to do a coronavirus test. So I had to wait for my results to come back. And the good news is I do not have the plague, which means I am allowed to go grocery shopping. Um, but I needed a list. So I dictated a markdown list and it was just so useful. So thank you, Stephen, for that, because uh, there's just all sorts of things here. And if you just keep you know, going through and having a look. Uh, I think actually out of all of your action groups, uh, Stephen, I think the Trove one might be my favorite just because it's got what seems like an eclectic uh, eclectic selection of different actions in here, you know, dictating, you know, in various different formats. So a log entry or a simple list or a markdown list or a task paper list. But it's really, really, really useful to me. So I'm I'm very, very happy with all of these because I'm using them in many ways. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of at the point now where I've got them all installed and I'm just going through kind of cataloging for my brain what's possible. Because I think part of the thing you've created, it's just so big that a lot of, there's a lot of these, I wouldn't occur to me to think that, oh, I already have a tool that does that. And and that's like a gating issue for me. Like I want to build an automation. I don't have an hour to figure out how to do this. And I'm like, oh, Stephen already did it. So now I can just plug into his automation and pick up where I left off. And I'm, it's like right now it's like, uh, imagine someone turning over the bucket of tinker toys and just touching each one of them to know what, what are the shapes available to me? That's kind of where I'm at, but it is amazing. There, there's a lot of tinker toys here, Steven. <laughs> Good. There'll be more to come. Well, what's your next drafts action that you're currently working on? If we can have a sneak preview. Um, let me check. I have a draft with that in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah one one of the things i want to take a look at is um the preview action that i mentioned earlier um mm -hmm. actually supports font awesome as well so you can actually ah. include font awesome directly in there however um it does that by uh linking to the font awesome libraries that are available online through one of the content yeah. distribution networks um what i'd like to do is to be able to get them onto people's devices um, but having the refresh action that kind of sets everything up for you, download several hundred or hundreds and hundreds of uh, image files, as we were talking about earlier with the, uh, the stream yeah. deck icon generation, isn't really that efficient. So I would like to see if I can figure out a way to download and expand a, a zip file. But I, mm. I'm not, I've seen some JavaScript libraries for it. I've used one in the past. I don't know how well it will work with drafts, but that that's on my list to take a look at. 
That's probably the most interesting one. Well, I, I wish you good luck with that. <laughs> and also let me know when you're done because I will be grabbing that one because I, yeah. I have uh, Font Awesome included. Obviously right now, um, you know, I'm not traveling as much, but previously, you know, not last year, but the year before, I was on the road a good chunk. And a lot of that was with a very unreliable internet connection, um, which made doing things like previewing my my blog post, which I was writing for my blog, um, with my blog's, my blog's theme, a little bit tricky because I had my CSS file offline, but obviously Font Awesome was then just randomly, you know, not showing things or sometimes it would show it would manage to load one or two icons and then the internet on the train plane in the airport etc would just die and uh, i would you know have one icon out of 20 that was supposed to be showing on the page so that was tricky <laughs> so yeah so I've, I've got that and i think on the preview actions as well i want because they're, they're quite new i haven't i'm still thinking of ways to build those out um there's also um very similar to mermaid there's one called chartist that allows you to build charts dynamically yes. as well and i want to take a look at that and see if see if i can do anything with that as well i'd quite like to get that in there yeah i've gone deep down the mermaid rape rabbit hole lately you know as all of us who are checking out obsidian um, oh yeah you know and um i didn't even know a mermaid existed six months ago and now i like dream in mermaid so i can't wait to see what you do with that <laughs> well i diagram my network in mermaid david so we're, we're definitely uh having fun with uh Nerd, nerdiness because you know why wouldn't we yeah well it's not that hard really i mean if you can do markdown you can do mermaid not that hard yes yeah yeah you can um and uh there's plenty of flexibility in it and i'm I'm pleased to see that other people are finding ways to make this work in drafts because drafts is definitely you know my favorite app to to open on my iphone to just write things in uh to, and, and my ipad as well to the point where while I've got one writer installed to access my Obsidian library and, you know, I've got some other apps like IA Writer and things like that too. If I want to write something, I'm always going to open drafts. That is, you know, my 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 brain now immediately goes, writing, that's drafts, uh, to the point where I pretty much had to give up using BB Edit for anything other than editing code files on my Mac because my brain just says, no, writing happens in drafts. And so I'm very pleased that other people are uh, also having so much fun with it and uh I've also just found the uh, the action for toggling typewriter mode. So thank you, Stephen. I'll be using that. <laughs> all right. Well, gang, I recommend all of you automators listeners head over to thoughtasylum.com, which is Stephen's blog. It's not just about nerdy draft stuff, as we talked about. He's got tons of cool automation and other uh, geek adjacent uh, geek adjacent content. <laughs> uh, I'm a subscriber now. I, I you know. I just, you know, like I said, you've just really um, impressed me with all the stuff you've made and, and thank you for taking the time to not only build this stuff, but um, it does take extra time to make this in a way that it's shareable by others. And you have taken that time and we all appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Uh, anywhere else people should go uh, to look for you, Stephen. So the only other places really I would suggest are the drafts forum and the automators forum. I'm fairly active on both of those. Yes, and that's with the username Silomer. Did I pronounce yeah, that correctly? It's it just comes from my website name, so <laughs> it was a nice, unique handle to use everywhere. Fair enough. All right, uh, we are the Automators. We'll be back in a few weeks with with a new automation show for you. But for now, everybody, go check out Thought Asylum and Stephen's amazing work. We want to thank our sponsors today. That's our friends over at Microsoft, the Intrazone, Devon Think, and AirBuddy. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everyone.